You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. All right, people, today we're taking a look at the numbers. This is the thing that most business owners don't like doing, but most smart business owners know that they have to do, which is to take a good, hard look at the numbers in your business. Take it from me. As a former credentialed accountant, a professional accountant, even I don't really like dealing with the numbers because it's a bit of a distraction from where I want to be focusing in my business, which is on growth, strategy, marketing, sales, creating thought leadership content. Like That's where I really thrive. Dealing with the numbers, not really my cup of tea, doesn't particularly excite me, but it's damn important and you can't ignore the numbers and you've got to have frameworks and structures in place to make sure that your business is financially sound. And today's expert on the show is Adam Rundle and he's the best that I've seen at helping service-based businesses, people like you and me, get a handle on the numbers of their business and not just a handle on them, but to be able to turn your cash, turn your revenue, turn your financial model into a strength. So it drives your business and it drives growth and it drives more and more profitability. And Adam's going to share with us a framework that is brilliant in this episode that he calls the perfect P&L. It is the perfect profit and loss. For those who don't know what P&L means, profit and loss. It is the perfect profit and loss framework for a service-based business. It was groundbreaking when I first heard about it, and I think it's going to be groundbreaking for you in this episode. So lots to learn here from Adam Rundle. Before we get to that, mentioned in the last episode, I put a training together around predictable referrals, predictable referrals. If that sounds like an oxymoron, you probably should check out this training. Referrals don't have to be sporadic. Referrals don't have to be a nice surprise. Referrals don't have to just be like something that happens to you that you have no control over. You can make your referrals more predictable. There is a method, there's a system, there's a methodology to do so. And I lay it out for you in this brand new training that I've created called Predictable Referrals. If that sounds interesting, if you want your referrals to be more predictable, more consistent, and therefore more scalable, go ahead and grab that training at forecast.fm slash referrals. That's forecast.fm slash R-E-F-E-R-R-A-L-S referrals. Now, today's question is coming from Neil. And I don't have an audio, but I have the text here of the question. I'm going to read it out to you. Neil asks, I have a high six-figure engineering practice, and most of our business has come from word of mouth and referral. I've got two full-time engineers who work with me, and I know I need to start getting myself out there to drive more business for the firm as the owner but I just don't know where to start. Whenever I start thinking about driving business and marketing and business development, I get caught up in the day-to-day operations of my business and it just never happens. What do you advise? Neil, thank you so much for the question. It's a common question and a common challenge that firm owners and principals, the heads of the business face, is that you build the business and you get to this point you know, where Neil's at, where in your high six figures, you got a couple of people and you now have to kind of level up and become the figurehead and become the rainmaker to drive the business, to sustain the growth that you need to add more people and grow the business. But you're still kind of caught in the operations. 
And you've gotten to where you are today by being very hands-on on the operational side of the business. And now you've hired people, so you have the opportunity to back yourself out of the operations a little bit, but that's hard to do because that's what got you here. You're a bit of a control freak, probably, right? You like getting into the nitty-gritty details of the business. You like getting your hands dirty with client work. It's comfortable for you, and that's why you do it. And there's three points I want to make to you in my answer today, and we'll keep it short and sweet. First of all is operations is always going to be more comfortable for you in the short term, because that's what you know. You know, you're a subject matter expert, you're an engineer, right? So it's always gonna be more comfortable for you to dive into operations and client work, even if it's not necessary for the growth of the business, for the viability of the business, because that's what's more comfortable for you, that's the thing that you do. So what we need to do is make marketing and business development more comfortable for you, because if it remains something that's kind of foreign to you, and you don't know how to do it, and it's overwhelming, and you're not really quite sure how to get started, then guess what? You're human, and humans will always avoid things that are scary, uncertain, where there's resistance, and they'll gravitate towards that which is more concrete. And in your case, engineering is more concrete than marketing. You're gonna gravitate towards that. So we have to make marketing and business development more comfortable to you, more familiar to you, so that you'll actually be able to do it and do it consistently. The second point is that whenever we embark on something new, a new initiative, a new discipline, a new area of work, planning is very important because if we leave marketing and business development open-ended for you, so it's like, well, just go and, you know, just Neil, just go and do some more marketing, just go and get some more clients, right? If we leave it at that level and you don't actually know what concrete steps to take day in and, and, and week in and week out, then you're not going to do it because it's, it's too abstract, right? It's, it's not concrete enough for you to actually take steps. And if it's not concrete enough, again, you're going to busy yourself with operational work that doesn't actually move the needle for the business because that's more concrete. So whenever you embark on something new like this, and this is true for marketing and sales and business development and growing your business, as much as it's true for going to the gym, the more that we plan and the more that we can boil down the entire exercise and process down to very specific and concrete steps that you can take and you can take comfortably, the more likely you are to actually follow through. And the third point I will make to you, Neil, is that you've got to raise necessity. If anybody listening to this hasn't read the fantastic book by Brendan Bouchard called High Performance Habits, go ahead and pick up a copy of that book right now. It's a fantastic book. And one of the high performance habits that Brendan talks about is raising necessity. High performance have a high level of necessity. Whenever they get to the next level, the risk is, and we all face this, you get comfortable. And Neil, you know, you're running a high six-figure engineering practice. That's a good place to be. So good on you. But the risk is you're going to get comfortable where you are, and you're not going to feel the need or the drive or the motivation to take things to the next level. So the answer to that is to raise necessity. You've got to be reflecting on where you want to go in the business where you want it to grow, what level you want to achieve, what your vision is for the business, and why that vision is important to you. Very, very critical. Why is that important to you? It's not just numbers. People come to me and they say, well, look, I want to get to a million dollars. I want to get to $2 million. Okay, those are just numbers. And that's good. It's good to have quantifiable business goals. But why? What happens to you, Neil, when you get to, let's say your goal is $2 million? What happens to you when you get to $2 million? What changes? How does your life change, your personal life, your professional life? How do you change? How are you more satisfied? How are you more fulfilled? Who do you become? And why is that all important to you? Those are really important questions to ask because that's what's going to motivate you 
to do the the hard work required to get beyond that seven figure mark and to get to, you know, one and a half million dollars and two million dollars or whatever your goal is. What's going to motivate you is the level of necessity that you have to go from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. But if you're not reflecting on that, then it happens to all of us, right? The default will be to just stick to your comfort zone and where you are right now sounds fairly comfortable. And that's probably the biggest risk that you're facing right now is you're too comfortable and you're not going to do the hard work required to grow unless you really know why growth, why the next level is important to you. So Neil, hope that makes sense and hope that's helpful to anybody else that might be in that position um, and looking to grow and get to the next level. So with that said, let's get into my conversation with Adam Rundle. Enjoy. Adam Rundle, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Really exciting. So tell us a quick backstory, Adam. How did you how did you get into the work that you're doing now? Let's let's cover that and then we'll jump into the topic for today. Um I originally from South Africa, uh, Cape Town, South Africa. I uh, studied I studied accounting. I became an accountant. Why I ever did that, I don't know. Maybe I could ask you that question. Why did we <laughs> do that? Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's kind of where it all started, you know, this you know, journey of in, in finance and in the accounting world. I then worked at a, a law firm in, Southern, in Cape Town for four years as kind of the financial manager um, and really just, you know, kind of got my hands dirty with understanding how to run a business. And, you know, especially from a financial standpoint, you know, I don't profess that I'm much of an operations kind of guy, but really, you know, understanding you know, how many, how the money works, you know, how the money flows in and out and how you should be thinking about it. Um, and then shortly after that, I started my own thing, doing some, uh, some accounting work for real estate investment trusts in South Africa. And uh, that was kind of my, my niche. Um, and then my wife and I decided that we wanted to move to America. So we did that. And uh, when we arrived here, we live in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, there were some people in this community. I don't know. I don't know. You may know Dave Rogamosa. I don't know if you know Dave Rogamosa. Um, I don't know if people listening may know him. Dave and two of his friends kind of started a SaaS company. Um, and I was helping them out on their financial side. And from there, it just kind of grew to there had a bunch of people that we could help. And, you know, this consultancy that we were doing uh, kind of took off. And that was that was kind of the journey of how we started working with entrepreneurs in America, trying to help them, you know, leverage their finances, make better decisions, and ultimately make more money. Awesome. So, tell us a little bit more about like what your current focus is. What what kind of companies do you work with specifically, and how do you help? Yeah. So we lately we are really focused on kind of the service based. Uh, coaches, consultants, you know, online, you know, digital marketers, perhaps guys who are doing guys or girls who are doing um, kind of selling their expertise and uh, who, you know, have, you know, a wheelhouse of knowledge who are now, who are now want to leverage that to help their clients, you know, grow their, their clients' businesses. And obviously at the same time, they are trying to run their own business. Um, we, we, we very much are in the niche of the service-based world, um, you know, coming from my background, uh, in law, I, you know, I haven't done much inventory. I haven't done much, you know, manufacturing in that whole world. And so I just have no interest in ever doing that. I don't think I will ever do that. Um, so very much so the, the business model of, you know, services, uh, consulting, uh, where you're selling your time and your expertise. Um, so that's kind of who we focus with. Um, you know, our clients range, I'd say the bottom end of our scale is about seven, eight hundred thousand $800,000 a year. 
Um, and then the top end is, you know, up to about $10 million a year. Um, and it's, you know, businesses or individuals or businesses that kind of are in the stage or in that range. And they're really looking, most, most people are looking to grow. Um, I think everyone wants to grow. Everyone wants to make more money. And we're just trying to help answer those questions. You know, what, what, what is it, you know, what does your business look like right now? And then how do we take it from where it is to where we want it to be really centered around profitability? I mean, that's kind of the, the crux of finance. You, know, you want to build an efficiently run profitable business. So how do you do that? Well, and that's why you're on the show. <laughs> the small <laughs> service-based businesses, uh, that's who's listening to this episode. And I'd love to hear from you. <clears throat> I'm acutely aware of the mistakes that I make in this area and have made in this area, despite my credentials as an accountant. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, knowing what to do doesn't really help you do it uh, all that much. What are the big mistakes that you're seeing these folks are making before they engage you or figure out they have a problem? Um, yeah, I think they range, they range pretty severely. I think one that would come to mind pretty quickly and one would resonate pretty quickly is this concept of taxes. People get like so worried about taxes. You know, they, I find that people get kind of like hamstrung by taxes. It's like they, they don't know what to do and there's this like fear around taxes. So they kind of like stall and they, they don't make decisions uh, because they don't know what to do uh, around their taxes. Um, and why that is a mistake, I would say, is because, you know, if you understand that taxes are a byproduct of running a profitable, efficient business and not, and not a driver in running a profitable, efficient business, they're a byproduct, then you don't have to, okay, you obviously have to worry about taxes, but that shouldn't be a focus point in the day-to-day decisions you're making. Your, your decisions need to be, hey, how do I make more money on the front end? How do I manage my expenses on the back end? So that at the end of the day, my business is more profitable. And then you will owe taxes and then you can go and sort that out accordingly. But to make f- business decisions up front based on this fear of taxes at the end, just the math doesn't, you know, the math doesn't work out that way. And so that's one that I think gets people really, really stuck. Um, so Adam, what you're, you're saying the goal of the business is not to reduce your tax bill. That's what you're saying? No, no, no. <laughs> that's that's, that's great. It's, it's okay. <laughs> We're done. Podcast finished. Okay, we can. <laughs> um, no, it's it's not. I mean, the you know, I say the the tax guy that works with us. I say, you know, my job really is to create tax problems. You know, we I want a business to be so successful and so profitable that there is actually a problem at the end of the day that we now need to go sort out, and it's a good problem. I mean, you know, we don't want to pay taxes, of course not, but the fact that you have a large tax bill means you're actually doing something right, and there's mm. and and. And there's more positive to that than negative. And yes, there's things you can do to manage your taxes. I'm not saying there aren't, and those are important things. But it's the timing of that that's important. It's that's the byproduct, the after the after effect. Um, I would say some of the others are. Uh, you, you asked mistakes. Um, <clears throat> it's not is clarity. It's lack of clarity. So when you start out, if you don't have a very clear picture, one of what you're trying to do, just you know, what is the vision that you have for your business and what you're trying to achieve. And then how that translates to your operations in your business and then therefore your finances of your business. You know, everything that happens in a business has a financial element to it. You know, whether you employ someone or you pay for software or whatever it is, there's a financial element. So those three things are interconnected. There's like a vision and a mission. There's things that actually actually have to happen every single day to achieve that. And then that all makes financial sense. And if you don't have a clear picture on that. You're just, you're going to, things are going to fall through the cracks there. So you're going to be saying, oh, I want to get to a million dollars in revenue, but you don't know how to get there because you don't understand what that actually translates to financially or operationally. Or maybe you do understand what it translates to operationally, but you don't understand what it's financially. So there's this, 
this like this to and fro in your brain around, hey, how do I actually get to where I want to get to? And if you can create some financial clarity, and and I want to say this in a very particular way, financial clarity is not like having the most complex accounting system in the world. It's actually financial clarity is actually not accounting. It's and I think you've heard me say this before. It's it's math. It's just simple. Money comes in, money goes out. And if you just understand that flow, you're going to make much better decisions. You can worry about people, you know, much later, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, the strict way to manage your finance, like accounting, like where should revenue go? Where should this go? But if you just intuitively understand it, your decisions are going to be astronomically better in your business. Um, then, and that plays hand in hand with this concept of how you actually earn money from your business. And this is, I don't know if it's a problem and I know you asked me a mistake and I, I think it is a mistake, but it's a mis- people wouldn't, probably people wouldn't say this is a mistake, but at the end of the day, the aim of your business is so that you can earn money and support your family and live your lifestyle. I mean, yes, you want to have impact and all that stuff, but you want to earn money. And I don't think people really understand how the, that relationship works. So yeah, yeah, I'll say that's a big mistake. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, this is an interesting segue into the idea of the perfect PL, which I want to talk to a little bit. The, the big shift that you helped me see and experience when we first met Adam was this idea that, you know, the way that you run your business as a independent solo consultant with no bills to pay and the way that you run it as an actual business and the view you need to have on your finances is drastically different. When I first heard you talk about the perfect PL, I realized that, oh my goodness, I've been I've been viewing this thing as like I'm a freelancer, which I used to be, right? So I carried forward that thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And I would measure my progress from a revenue perspective relative to what I used to earn as an employee, right? So if I was doing twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a month, whatever it was, then that was great. But then you helped me see that, well, hold on, you're a business now, okay? You're not, you're not just a freelancer who's getting paid by the hour and doing work, um, which is effectively an, you know, kind of an employee type mindset, but you're a business. And your business has expenses and you may not be as profitable as you think you are when you look at it from that viewpoint. So I'd love for you to introduce us to the idea of the perfect PL. Yeah, of course. Um, the, the, the perfect, and, and you, you, you touched on it like perfectly there. The, the perfect PL is, is how you start to understand your business from a financial perspective. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll break down the perfect PL like this. The, the perfect PNL means profit and loss statement. That's, that's what it is, okay? It is a, a statement that tracks all your income, all your expenses, and as a result, you work out the efficiency of your business. You know, how much money are you actually making at the end of the day? And this concept of the perfect PNL is starting to understand that there is a way that your profit and loss statement can look under the perfect circumstances. Um, and I actually got this concept from, and I don't think I've told you this, I got this concept from learning how to play chess. Um, and you, I read a book about chess that explained the perfect way to set, to get your, your chess pieces to be set up on your board, which is like the, mo- the best way to do it so that you could win every single game of chess you play. The funny thing is, though, that it's physically impossible in the game of chess to ever get your pieces in that sequence because the game doesn't work that way. But what it taught me was if I understood where each thing should be to leverage itself to its maximum potential, I can make decisions playing chess, 
how to get to that point. Even though I may never, ever, ever actually achieve that view, I know that I want to move this pawn to this place or I want to move my, my rook to this place just so that I can leverage that piece to its maximum potential. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with your finances is, yes, you may never consistently achieve a 30% pre-tax profit margin for the next 10 years of your business. Business doesn't work that way. There's ebbs and flows. But if you understand how to leverage each part of your business to aim for that, the likelihood is you're going to get a lot closer to that figure than you would in any other way. And so that's what the perfect PL is. It's like saying, okay, under perfect circumstances, what do we want this thing to look like? And so then each decision we make can be directly geared to trying to achieve that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the analogy I would use here, given that this is a marketing show, it's, it's like having an ideal client profile, right? Exactly. You, you map out exactly. what that perfect client looks like. They probably don't even exist. You're never going to find the perfect client. They're not out there, right? Yeah. But knowing what that looks like means you need to get a little bit closer every time. Exactly. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. Exactly. I, I mean, I've done this. I've done marketing things in, in my life, not that I should ever, but you know, it's like you get these avatar questions. It's like fill out your perfect avatar. It's a, that, that's the analogy is so perfect because that's exactly what it is. You, you're never going to find that person. But you want to get to like 80 or 85 or 90% of that person is far better than getting 5% five, 5 of that person. And so if you don't do that avatar test and you don't actually find out who your ideal client is, well, then you're never really going to know what to, you know, you're never going to get close enough. And so, yeah, I think that analogy is spot on. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, what do we want this to look like under perfection? And now let's go try to do it. You know, whether we get there or not, we're still going to get a ton closer to that if we just know where we're actually trying to get to. And, you know, just to illustrate a real world example of how this plays out. I mean, we're, I'm scaling right now, my company, and we're hiring coaches and we're hiring staff, we're hiring all these people. And, you know, if I don't have the perfect PL, which I do have thanks to Adam, but if, if I didn't have the perfect PL or some kind of framework or standard, through which to make those decisions, how would I know how to make those decisions? I'd be flying by the seat of my pants. And I assume that's what most people are doing if they don't have a framework like this. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. And, and, I'm, and I, I'm very reluctant to say that people are making wrong decisions or people don't know what they're actually trying to do. If you, <clears throat> if you make more than $200,000 in revenue a year, you have a brain on your head. You know what you're doing. You have the ability to go, reach out to people and get them to pay you money. I mean, that, you do. It's like, I mean, that's a that's a feat in itself. You know, just to get to that point, you you're not a silly person. Okay. The problem though is that yes, you in in the moment you're making a good decision because you're saying like, oh, I need to employ this person or I need to get this person to do this job. So you're making a good decision. The problem is you're probably making it in a vacuum. So it's not that you're making a bad decision. It's just that, are you making the best decision? You know, it's, it, you know, so I, I'm very reluctant to say like, oh, you, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You're making all these stupid decisions because that's probably not the case. But if you're, if you're operating at 70%, hey, let's try to get you to 80, 85, 90, 95%, just because there's a flywheel effect there because every decision you make then affects the next decision, which affects the next decision, which affects the next decision. And then all of a sudden in six months time, your business is contrastly different because of these compound effects of decisions. And so it's, you know, I don't want people to think like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to now reinvent the wheel. No, you don't have to reinvent any wheel. You just want to gain clarity. And that's why I love the word clarity. I think clarity is such a good word here. If you, you know, you can still drive your car when it's raining. It's not going to be pretty effective, but you can still drive your car. But if you have your windscreen wipers on, hey, you're going to have more clarity and you're going to 
probably drive better. So it's that kind of view. It's like, hey, we want to take this from good to better, eventually to great. So how do we do that? Well, and I think that the, the way I find this really useful is, is you're right. Maybe I'm not making the wrong decisions. Maybe my decisions aren't terribly off the mark, but at least I have some kind of a benchmark now. So when it comes to hiring, as an example, which is you know, really top of mind and, and, and uh, a high priority for me, at least I know whether I'm overextending myself. Right, whether I'm over hiring for the, the revenue and the profitability that we want. And even if I am, and even if I'm going to continue to do so, at least I know, right, that we're going a little bit over in this particular area. And that clarity alone is valuable. Yeah, because it, that, it's not about going over. It's about understanding you've gone over. And so what else is going to give? Oh, okay. I know right now I have to go over here. But because I know I have to go over, there's other things in my business I can do that can help manage that process and be like, okay, now I, I've got other decisions to make to to improve profitability, which is which is the clarity piece. If you have that clarity, you're going to be in a far better position. So, Adam, let me ask you this before we get into the weeds of the perfect PNL. Uh, you know, you mentioned something about you know if you're making over two hundred thousand dollars, you have a brain, which is nice. <laughs> but let me ask you this. What's the point at which you really ought to be taking this idea of the perfect PL seriously? Is there a, a revenue number, a market validation like stage? Like at what point should this become a priority for somebody? Uh, to be honest, I, I don't think there is a point. I think I I and I'm and I'm not saying this because I'm trying to get people to think this way. I I, I really believe that you need to think about this off the bat. If you if you're making ten thousand dollars a year or you're making ten million dollars a year, the concepts don't change. Yes, the magnitude changes. Yes, the, the amount of money changes. The, the positive and negative effects of the decisions change because of the magnitude is bigger. Yes, that is all at play. But the basic concept doesn't change because you'd never want your input to exceed your output. So you never want to spend more money than you're making. So whether you're making $10,000 or $10 million, you still don't want to be in that boat. So, so you want to be thinking about it as soon as you can. And I think maybe part of your question, and, if, and I'm going to answer this because I, it's the way my brain works, is, okay, so when do I have to like seriously act on this? Like, when do I have to now go out and maybe find an accountant or go out and like, that's a question that may require a little bit more of a yardstick in terms of revenue. And so what I would say is, is every business owner needs to understand the principles of how this works and how your business works and what we would call the perfect PNL. You can call it whatever you want to call it. You can, it doesn't matter what you call it. You want to understand those principles. And the smaller you are, the more time I would suggest you invest in it because your lev your point, your, your ability to grow there is going to be largely based on your, your input. Because if you don't have a lot of people working for you, or if you don't have a lot of outside advice, you're gonna ma you're making 99.9% .9 of every decision in your business. So you want that information. As you get bigger, you can then start to look to outsource things. And I I believe accounting is one of the first things you can outsource, because a bookkeeping process is super easy. You can outsource that making five thousand dollars a month. You can outsource that for 50, 60 bucks a month. You can do that, and that's not gonna break your business. And that's probably something you should be thinking about. But you're not, and this is what I say to people, you, if you pay a bookkeeper $200 a month to do your bookkeeping, one, I hope you don't expect them, and I don't imagine you would be expecting them to, to tell you how much money you should be spending on ads, to tell you how much you should be spending on your next employment option, because that's not their job. That's your job. 
So this concept, you've got to understand this concept to make those decisions. The work behind it, you can outsource that. And so I would say, you know, when you're at like <clears throat> two, you know, hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year, you've got to be looking to outsource this bookkeeping thing, of course. But you need to have still that the wheelhouse is still going to be your wheelhouse around how I'm actually using this information to leverage those decisions. And then as you get bigger, so too those things get bigger and bigger because that accountant's going to be spending more time, which means more money. And then you eventually maybe want an accountant, then maybe a CFO who's helping you take more complexity and leverage better decisions. And that's like a step-by-step -step process. But from off the bat, you need to understand how your business works. And otherwise, you just, you're going you're gonna to bump your head along the way. Yeah, and I, I think you made a really important point there. I want to make sure it's not lost on anybody. What you're saying is, especially in the beginning, you can outsource the mechanics of the bookkeeping and record keeping and all that kind of fun stuff. But what you cannot do is outsource the decisions. Those are yours. You've got to own them. Is that right? Yep. Yep. hundred percent. It's, okay. and I was thinking about, I was thinking of this the other day. It's like, you could be the best athlete in the world. If you don't understand how the game works, you're never going to win. You can be the strongest guy in the world. You can run the fastest. You can throw the ball the furthest. If you don't understand how to score points, you're not going to win. And a guy who's half the athlete of you who understands how the game works is going to be better than you because he knows what to do. And it's that concept. Like, just know what to do. Like, make sure you know what to do. You know, it's funny. You asked me, why do we go into accounting? And uh, you're just reminding me why I went into accounting. My logic at the time was, um, for those who don't know listening, I used to be a, a credentialed accountant. I'm not anymore. My logic at the time was, well, I just want to understand the language of business. I want to understand like how it all fits together and what drives profitability and revenue and, and like the mechanics of it. And then I'll figure out where to go from there once I understand the language. You gotta, when you go to a new country, you want to learn the language first. And then you can kind of get settled in. And hey, you know what? Maybe that, maybe that paid off. Jury's still out on that. <laughs> but that's why, that's why I did it in the end. Um, so Adam, listen, let's, let's take a look at what are the, what are the pieces of the perfect PL? If you could walk us through the framework, um, what, are the, what are the things that we want to be keeping track of on the perfect PL? Yeah, so they are really the three major things on in a, in a PL. So a, a PL with profit and loss statement, income at the top, list of all your expenses, and uh, profit at the bottom. So there's three major things that we want to be bracketing our expenses into that what I would call are key drivers to your business. There is a fourth, which I'll get to, but there's three that kind of make kind of a intuitive sense. And, and the way I like to think about this is the flow of money. Okay, so think about how money flows in your business and then we'll break down these three things and make, it makes a lot of intuitive sense. So the first one is advertising. Okay, why advertising first? Well, how else do you get people to pay you money? Okay, people, no one's going to pay you money unless they know who you are, know what you do, know what you offer. And you, this is your wheelhouse. You understand this. this you can beat your chest as much as you want unless people know you have seen you, you can articulate your offer to them, you, no one's going to give you money. So that's the first thing, the first area we focus on is, is advertising. So now once people have paid us money, we now need to deliver the service. Okay, so they've, you've done all that great work on your, on your advertising side, they paid you a bunch of money, now you need to make sure that they actually get what you, they're paid for. So that we call that our labor pool. So we say labor being whether it's yourself or other people that work with you, other consultants or coaches or whatever that looks like in your business, you're going to have this labor force to start delivering the services and running your business, admin people or whatever it is. So that's the second key, what do we say, driver to profitability in your business. And then the third is overheads. And overheads are kind of the back office, what, what keeps your business going. Um, things like rent and software and potentially insurance or 
travel or educate training and education things that and the reason why it's third is we don't necessarily use you're not going to use overheads to directly leverage growth in your business um overheads are in a small way i was talking about taxes earlier it's like a byproduct you know oh, not a byproduct it's like a uh, an expense that grows naturally with your business you're not going to go and all of a sudden spend ten thousand dollars on a new software to get more consulting clients it doesn't doesn't quite work that way. You'd rather spend $10,000 on paid advertising, get a bunch of new clients, service them. And then as that grows naturally, you're going to incur more software costs, you're going to incur more other costs. So overheads is, is what keeps the lights on, we would say, but it's, a, it's definitely a smaller portion and it's just an inevitable you know, expenses to run your business. So those are the three main ones. And then the fourth one, which I didn't mention, is just because it's less directly financial and it's a little bit more mindset orientation. And what we would call that is kind of how you pay yourself as a business owner and this, this tax question. You know, you know, often how you pay yourself is directly related to taxes because of depending on what entity you are, depending on, you know, you know, what your structure is with your business. So then we would say, okay, this process of how you're paying yourself and how we factor in taxes would be the fourth big driver to ensuring profitability. And so the, but the three I really want to focus on are, are advertising, labor, and overheads. And there's like a very good formula to use the perfect BNL but you can break that down, yeah. So let's get into that formula in a second, but first I wanna ask you, what about businesses that are not advertising driven? What about folks who maybe aren't spending money on ads and they're growing organically, maybe referral, maybe word of mouth, maybe organic outreach, but not ads driven? How does that change the, the formula? Um, it, doesn't, it definitely doesn't change the formula. What, what happens there is, um, and I, I don't know if you asked this question because you maybe knew a little bit of the answer because I've discussed this with you before is, we we actually combine advertising and labor together when we break down the formula. Hmm. Um, so we get we 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 put it as a total like a combined total when we first break down the formula, and then we split it up after that. <clears throat> and the reason we do that is exactly for this reason, because not only are some people not spending money on advertising, there's just contrasty different levels of advertising. You know, if you're selling, you know, if you're selling one-on-one -on -one services you're going to spend a certain amount on advertising. If you're trying to sell a course, you're going to spend a completely different, you know, that advertising model is completely different because you're looking to enroll hundreds of people, not just one or two at a time. So because of that, that scenario, what we do is we first combine those two and then based on what kind of business you're using, we then, then break them up into individual numbers so that we, based on what type of business you're running. And so the offset to actually answer your question, the offset there is just labor because <clears throat> organic marketing takes time. Uh, you know, organic outreach still takes time. So, so there is still some, there's still a cost to it. There's a cost to everything in business. So that cost is now less so paying Facebook or paying YouTube. It's your time and effort into that organic process. So we, that is going to then fall part and parcel of that labor bracket we're talking about. Of course, what the marketer in me wants everyone to understand is if they're thinking, well, I'm not really spending on advertising or labor for marketing. Why aren't you spending money? Oh, well, <laughs> it seems we have a problem, okay? I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> you know, organic only lasts so, so long. And you'll find that. And if you probably work out the formula, you'll see, oh, man, it's, I, I want to spend less time organically posting and more time automating that process. So, yeah, the, the numbers make sense. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, so walk us through the formula. Okay, so the formula is pretty simple. We use we use income as our variable. Okay, um, and the reason we use income as a variable is because income is uh, pretty much so everyone's goal in in 
business is we want to generate as much income as we can. So if we if we use that as the variable, we can base our car, our running our business off those costs or off off that that income number. The second reason we use income is because if you're in this world of being a consultant or coach or digital marketing, selling your expertise, you you're selling value. You're not selling you know not selling a tangible product. So when we sell value, we want our income, we want the cost of that service to be the primary focus. We want to work out how much value am I adding to whoever I'm servicing. Contrast that to someone who's in a manufacturing world. Contrast that to someone who is buying and selling, you know, like this mouse. Okay, so they buy the mouse, they sell the mouse. Their costing structure is very much going to be around cost of goods sold because they are saying, hey, I can buy this thing for X. Now I want to mark it up and then I want to sell it for Y. And then how do I factor my expenses around making sure that that margin covers all my costs. And I don't want to get into that detail there. That makes sense in that world because there's a physical product that you either have to manufacture or buy. When you don't have that physical product, we don't want to do cost-based accounting. We don't want to say, oh, okay, I spent 10 hours, therefore at $25 an hour. And then we don't want to do that. That's not the world you want to be in at all. You want to be in the world of, hey, I can add value. My value is X. So I'm going to sell X. So that's why we, we don't get in this world of like how much does things cost so that I can charge someone. No, no, no. Sell value. Okay. So we're using income as a variable and so we're basing these three categories off income. Okay. And simple percentage model. If you use the percentages, you will then uh, maximize profitability and then you'll have this like these boundary ropes to work in when you're making these decisions. So I said we combine the two. We combine advertising and labor and we attach... 55% of revenue to that number. So assume you make $100,000 a year, we don't want to spend much more than $55,000 on advertising and labor. I'll break, them, I'll break it up in a moment. Let's just combine that for now. The next number is overheads. So kind of the things that keep the lights on, 15%. Okay, so 15%, so $15,000 we want to spend in our little example. We want to spend on software and insurance and rent and all those different things. As a result, we will now have a pre-tax profit percentage of, of 30%. So the combination of those is, is 70%. So 70 minus 100 is 30%. So at the end of the day, you spend 55 on your, your, your marketing and labor, 15 on your overheads, you will have $30,000 before taxes at the end of the day. Now that number is really, really, really important because this is not a tax discussion and tax discussions are too, too complex and nuanced. So I'm not going to talk about how much of that goes to taxes and all that kind of stuff, but we do not want that number to be less than 20% ever really. And the reason why is just because that number directly allows for two things. Well, actually three things in your business. First thing, it directly allows you to actually earn proper money from your business. So like all this time and effort you're putting in as a business owner, you want to earn earn sufficiently for that. So that's the first thing it does. The second thing it does, which is a combined to is this cash flow element of like, hey, I need money. And what money does, what cash does, is it's an insurance policy. When times are bad, the more money you have on hand, the longer you're going to survive. And it's the fuel to growth. If you want to put your foot down on the gas and you want to go from 100K to a million dollars, you're going to need money to do that. You're going to need to invest in ads. You're going to need to invest in your team. So the more profitable you are sustainably, the more cash on hand you're going to have. So that's why that 20% is the minimum number and we're aiming for 30 so we go, we, so it's 55, 15 gives you the 30 and you'll be sometime, you know, we'll be anywhere in a range around 30 minimum, of course, is 20%. Um, and so that's what the perfect, that's the formula of the perfect pair. Now, 
And so if you can work in those, and super, there's about four numbers there or three numbers, whatever. If you can work in those framework, every year you're going to be at least 20 to up to 30% pre-tax profits. Bank account's going to be growing. Cash on hand's going to be growing. You're probably going to be able to pay yourself really healthily out of that. And you're going to have the feel to grow your business at any point in time. Well, that sounds fantastic. Um, Adam, tell me this. Let's, let's assume that people have, they, they've adopted the perfect P&L formula. They've got the bookkeeping in place and they kind of know what these numbers look like week to week, month to month. Walk us through what the decision-making process should look like. How often are we looking at these numbers and what kind of decisions are they driving? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, so we, what we, we use here, what we call a review preview cycle in our, you know, in our clients who we work with. Okay. Um, and a review preview cycle is really simple. We reviewing what has happened and we previewing what we want to happen. So it's a little bit of backwards forwards look. And what we're trying to do in that process is we're trying to learn of what happened. Was it good? Was it bad? What have, what have we learned? Okay. So good, bad. What have we learned? How do we then take that information set new goals, use the information to reach those goals, and then actually make decisions that are going to directly reach those goals. And if, and we would try, so a time frame, we would try to do that twice a week, twice a month at minimum. So kind of every two weeks, so you kind of do it in the middle of the month, figure out where you're going at the end of the month to do a review on the previous month and then forecast forward for the next month. And what we're doing is we are using the perfect PNL as our scorecard. So, I mean, I think scorecards are a great way to put it. You know, you, if you play golf match, you know, you, you, you can say, Oh, this is what I've done before. So the next time I go onto the course, I want to at least do better than this. Okay. And so it's a very, it's, it's exactly the process we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, you know, last, the last two weeks, um, um, percentages were 60% and 18%. Okay. We are a little bit too high. You know, we are spending too much money. Now, what decisions can I make today to go from 60 to 55? What decisions can I go from 18 to 50? Oh, okay, I can do a review of my software. I can cut this one, cut the, oh, there's some redundancy there. Or that's this, yeah. Or actually, you know, the, right now, there's just no ways I'm going to get below 60 without getting my team to work. Okay, well, then I'm not generating enough revenue. So now how can I leverage some more revenue growth so that that base point can actually equal 55% of revenue at a new revenue target? So that's kind of the cycle we're going through so that at the end of that review, we can say, okay, what do we want the future to look like? And you should have a very clear picture of that because now I, you, I can say to you, okay, right there, you're spending $5,000 too much on, ad, on labor. How do we address that problem? Or you're only spending 35% on labor. Hey, you've got margin to grow here. You're not as efficient as you, you, you're efficient, but you're leaving money on the table. Hey, we can, we can get, get revenue growth because we've got a team that can support this. So they go both ways, both positive and negative, everyone thinks about how to lower your income, your expenses, but sometimes your expenses are too low and we want to increase them so that we can increase revenue on the back end. So let's walk through a, an example. Let's, let's put some of these numbers to work and, and, and let's illustrate to people what this looks like in a real world scenario. So let's say, for example, Adam, that somebody listening here maybe has an income goal, a personal income goal of, let's say $100,000 for easy math. Okay. Yep. They want to be bringing home a hundred thousand dollars. Now I will tell you, and you know this already that people that are independent solo consultants run a small consulting shop where they're the only consultant, they're looking at revenue and they're thinking, well, if my revenue is above a hundred thousand dollars, I've met my income goal. <laughs> right? 
which is what I thought before I met you. Okay. Yeah, we all, we've all heard this one. But if we apply your perfect PL framework and we accept the premise that you're not just a, a you know, pair of hands for hire, you're at an actual business and you want to grow and you want to be profitable, then we have to apply your 55% advertising and labor. So let's just be really generous and let's just say you don't advertise at all and you are your own marketer and you're going to pay yourself only. According to your formula, you should only be paying yourself $55,000 out of the hundred. Correct. Well, right? Yes, you're paying yourself 55, 55, you know, $55,000 out of the hundred. Um, remember, if, if your formula is 100% correct, you, there is still $30,000 before taxes sitting in your bank account that you've, you've accumulated over the course of the year. Now, remember, as a business owner, you're still entitled to that. You know, that, is, that is your money that you've made. Now, whether we pay that out or not becomes a little bit of a different discussion. I don't want to get too much in the weeds of like cash flow and you know keeping cash on hand so that you don't break your business. Um, so, in real terms, you've made eighty-five thousand dollars before taxes. So, you've made eighty-five thousand at fifty-five, and that thirty, you've made eighty-five thousand dollars, and then you're going to factor taxes on top of that. So, that's in in real terms. But to pay yourself out eighty-five thousand dollars is not going to be very clever because you're going to have any money left in your business. Because now your cash flow is going to go to yeah. zero because you've paid out everything. And that puts different types of pressure on your business. And, and, I, and I would say this. I would say this. This is, this is the – remember I said the fourth one was how you pay yourself in taxes. And there's this like kind of mindset issue around you. And you, you're touching on it, which I, let's dive into it. Um, <clears throat> if, you, if you want to earn $100,000 based on the work that you are doing every single day, you're going out, you're spending a nine to five, you're working, you meeting with clients, if you want to earn $100,000 on the work you've done, that must come out of that labor pool, 100% out of that labor pool, which means your business needs to make $180,000 in that year to get to 55% to pay yourself $100,000. If you do that, you, if you do that correctly, you're going to be able to earn more money because you've been profitable, which is great. That's like the reward for being profitable. That's like, hey, you you now achieve something so you can get to take out more money, but not the other way around. Not like, oh, I want to earn $100,000, so I'm just going to take out $100,000. We've, we've got to attach that, that money to work done. And the reason why this is important, I've actually recorded a podcast yesterday about this exact topic, was compensation for work done is fundamental to determining how efficient your business is. Hmm. So you, every day you wake up, Go to work and you work. Okay. And if you're a business owner, you work hard. You've got like 100 different things on your plate and you're running around, you're doing advertising, marketing, and sales, and running your team. You're doing all of that type of stuff. The cost of that, how much that, that process, that activity costs in your business, is fundamental to determine how profitable you are. Because if I want to work out how efficient something is and I leave out one of the most key things that make the thing work, then I'm not going to actually measuring efficiency because I'm just lying to myself and saying, oh, it's, oh, so it's amazingly efficient, but I'm not actually factoring in all this work that's been done. And if, we, if you understand that intuitively and you understand, okay, I need to pay myself for this work I'm doing as if I was paying someone else to do it, and then I build a profitable business that is following the lines of the perfect PL on that, that's a real business. That's a business that's going to survive for years and years to come because that's a business that not only going to make a lot of money from, but you're going to be generating healthy profits, massive cash on hand, huge insurance policies, massive fuel to grow, and your ability to earn even more money. And 
isn't that where we all want to be? And I know that sounds like idyllic and it sounds like kind of mysterious, like, oh, that would be so nice, you know, but that's got to be the aim. The aim can't just be like, oh, I want to make $100,000, so let's go make 120, scrape through the other 20, and then make 100, and hopefully next year is going to be better. No, let's build something that's going to pay me more than $100,000 every year for the rest of my life. And there we can't just be thinking about, oh, I just want to make $100,000. No, 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 we've got to be thinking about what kind of work you're doing, how does that fit into the model, how profitable can I be? There is a bigger picture at play there. And Adam just went ahead and doubled and tripled everyone's income goals just like that. <laughs> Suddenly, you thought you were doing well, all of a sudden you're not doing I met Adam, thought he's a nice guy. Suddenly, I need to make three times as much as I thought I had. <laughs> just like that. Who is this guy? What is he trying to well, do? Which is, no, but which, which is really important, right? Because if I realized that years earlier, I would have recalibrated myself accordingly, right? So to me, for a long time, Adam, and I'm sure this is typical. For a long time, I had calibrated my income according to what I used to earn as a professional. Mm -hmm. I earned a certain amount of money, right? I went out and started my own business. And then surprise, surprise, when I matched my income, I got very comfortable. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, I guess I'm good now. And then I stayed at that level for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And then I went up and I went up and I went up. But it wasn't until I met you that I realized, oh, it needs to be like 3x, 5x this to build a healthy, sustainable business that you know doesn't just rely on me to do the work every day and i credit you for that realization thank you i appreciate that yeah i i i think i think it's less so like hey you have to make more money and you're not doing well enough it's more a case of do you really understand how much money you're earning because mm -hmm. you know yes in your previous world you may have been earning $100,000 but in order to earn $100,000 in your business that's very different to you know, just earning $120,000 and hoping that there's $100,000 left after. And that recalibration is very important just from your own perspective of working. And I want to go one step further and say, I think, and I think, and I would actually love to know, I don't have the metrics on this and I'd love to have the metrics on this, but I would love to know how many entrepreneurs out there are really happy with how much money they are earning, not how much money their business makes, not their revenue number, not what their Stripe account or whatever it is telling them, how much money they take out of their business, put into their back pocket and go home with, okay? And, you know, put food on the table and live the lifestyle they want to live with. Live, okay? How many people are truly happy with that? And, I, and I'm not saying like, oh, we would all like to make a million dollars a month. I mean, of course we would, okay? And I'm not talking about fairy tale. I'm talking just like lying in bed at night thinking, am I really happy with how much money I'm bringing home? And I would... I would probably put a lot of money on the bet that it's very low and it's low because the work to, to be an entrepreneur, there's so much work. There's, you're sacrificing so much. You're putting your financial, your, your finances at risk, your family at risk, your every, there's so much at play. And of course, the bigger the risk, the more the joy and the upside. And we love that. That's the, the absolute fire in our belly to be an entrepreneur is all that joy, but we also want to earn accordingly. And the calibration part is this to me, if you're not if you're not earning what you should be earning you have to be getting frustrated and when you're getting frustrated what is that doing in your business what is that doing every day when you wake up and you need to make decisions and i don't think a lot of people and myself included i'm not saying i understand this at all i don't think a lot of people really understand that i don't think i think people get up and they're sitting in front of their business and they work the computer and they're working but there's this frustration of like yeah, man, I'm doing all of this, but I don't want seeing the return. I'm not seeing the money. 
And I'm just not healthy. It's just not healthy for any of us. And imagine the other way. I mean, imagine you you woke up every day and you had the skip in your step because you knew at the end of the month I was going to get this paycheck that just was like reward, like, hey, tap on the back. Well done, buddy. You've done such a good job today or this month. Here's your reward. I'm, you're going to arrive every day much happier, arrive every day much more driven. And I think there's a mind, there's a calibration mindset thing there that is, it, you just hit on it. So, it's so true. It's like, man, we've got to think about that. We have to think about that. And I will bet, because I've been in that position before, that a lot of people are ignoring the entire topic of profitability because they don't want to see what's been swept under the rug. It's embarrassing. Oh, okay. Maybe embarrassing isn't the right word. It's, it's, it's intimate. It's like, it's like digging deep and it can be scary. Can be, you can be vulnerable. It's like, actually, you know, I worked really hard for the last year. I don't want someone, or I don't want to look at numbers and to tell me I failed. No, I don't, I don't, no one wants that. I don't want that. I mean, and I spend every minute of every day doing this and, you know, trying to show people how they, it's just not, that's not who we are. But we don't want to live under that facade. We don't want to live under this like, kind of cloud of, oh, I hope it's working. Because hope's not going to get us anywhere. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to see it work. And then we can get somewhere. Well, this is why the mindset gurus tell us we've got to operate from a place of objective reality. That's it. And when it yeah. Business, the perfect PL, the numbers, how they stack up, how profitable you are. That is objective reality. It's not the way that you feel or how good you think you're doing or how many Twitter followers you have. None of that pays the bills. Objective reality is how do the numbers stack up in the end? Yeah, so true. I, I, I haven't, I haven't put words like that to it. And I quite like that. Objective reality is, yeah, numbers don't lie. It's, uh, it's the final measure of whether you've succeeded or not. You know, you could, the best golf game of your life but the scorecard is going to tell you what it is you know that's it's the same in business you know you can feel whatever you want to feel but there's a scorecard and at the end of the day it's going to show you what it is and you're either on top or you're not you know? you're not going to lie i'm not sure people are happy they listen to this episode adam but I think <laughs> now that i've scared everyone and no one ever wants to run their own business and we've just diluted it <laughs> well look it was uncomfortable when i first heard it from adam but i in the end i'm grateful and um adam we are grateful for you to come on the show and sharing this with us um tell us where Thanks can people find you if they want to learn more yeah. from you yeah before i tell you where you can find me i just want to say this is actually a lot easier than you think uh and i said in the beginning you know accounting is math it's like intuitive pluses and minuses uh and if if you just simplify it and get a framework you'll be surprised how much easier this is than you think the accountants have cast a spell over the world of business and made this thing something scary which is actually not so just so don't be disheartened you know this, this is this is a lot easier than you think um facebook's probably the easiest uh, adam rundle on facebook uh, i own a company called abr consulting uh, we have uh, something called the Perfect PNL, which is actually a course, an online course that you can, you know, kind of learn about the P Perfect PNL, how it works, uh, you know, everything that we've discussed today, as, as well as a bunch more. Um, so the PerfectPNL.com uh, or ABR or ABRSA.com, uh, that's where you could probably find me. And uh, Facebook's a good one. Just being, reach out on Facebook, and we'd love to see who you are and connect and create some conversations. The more people talking about profitability, the more profitable our businesses will be. Absolutely. And if I could add to that, Adam, uh, you're right. I think it's not as complicated as people make it out to be. And I think fundamentally what you're preaching here and what I think is most valuable is not so much the numbers behind the perfect PL, and that's valuable, but it's the mindset shift. It's the identity shift mm -hmm. that 
you need to go from, you know, just independent consultant, somebody who's compensated for the work that they do. You need to go from that identity to the identity of the responsible business owner. And when you are a responsible business owner, you've got to mind the numbers, look at the numbers and make smart decisions. And when that becomes your identity, then the work to be done is fairly straightforward, but that's the shift that you need to make. I would, yeah, I think I would echo that a million times over. I think that is, that is so what it is. You know, I, you do not need to worry about accounting. You can pay people to worry about accounting. You can pay people to count your money. You can pay people to do a tax return and, and please do pay them. Don't spend your time doing it. It's a waste, but you can't outsource the decisions that you need to make to run a perfect, a profitable business. And that's mindset. That's just, that's just understanding. And, and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of education. It's a little bit of it, just put your feet in this world, get to know it. Uh, it's a lot less complicated than you think, but far more important than probably most things you're doing right now. Absolutely. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, look forward to connecting with you maybe on my own podcast. We'll get you to teach some of our guys how to do uh, marketing. Such an important thing. (laughs) Sounds great, my friend. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.